electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. Put it in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me, at Jim Kramer. All right, how can this market snap out of that bizarre malaise where the reopening stocks keep roaring and everything else, especially tech and healthcare, gets left behind? After the day where the Dow declined 104 points, that's be dipped 0.32%. And the Nasdaq actually did a little bit better, edged down 0.11%, but it's still headed for its worst month since October. Let me tell you what needs to happen. I've got the solution, all right? And it's, uh, it's a little complex, but I'll give it to you. First, there is way too much speculation in this market. We're still seeing lots of money pouring into areas that are very hard to value. Just look at the crawl at the bottom. I mean, you see this right down here. I mean, see right below me, okay? Look at this. I'm not saying those companies are worthless, but the amount of volume that changes hands every day in that low dollar stock and that low dollar stock and that low dollar stock, that should make you very, look at that one, should make you very nervous. It's a sign of excessive speculation. With inflation, these are the moral equivalent of penny stocks, for heaven's sake. Second, too much greed. Yeah, one look at the newly launched ARC Space Exploration ETF tells you everything you need to know about how managers can't resist creating new funds, even if there's no reason for them to exist. They love to create ETFs. They love to advertise ETFs. Now, look, should this fund have some quality companies that can pass as space plays? They've got Trimble, Kratos Defense, L3 Harris. Though something like L3 is mainly a high defense contractor. We have them on. you got Lockheed Martin and Boeing, which do have some space exposure, even if it's not their main business. The thing is, this fund also includes Amazon, Alphabet, and Netflix, along with some Chinese e-commerce plays like JD.com, Alibaba, Tencent, Deer's in there, too. Yeah, Deer, the tractor company. It's ridiculous. But there aren't enough genuine space-related stocks to make a decent ETF, and the manager wants to collect that 0.75% expense ratio. Maybe, uh, I have an idea, don't launch a space ETF if you have to pad it out with Netflix and Deer. You know what? I was surprised that GameStop isn't in it, because GameStop is synonymous with rocket ships over at Wall Street Bets. YOLO. It's not just ARC. 
Look, at the ridiculous amount of risk the banks expose themselves to with, Ar- with, uh, with this Archegos uh, hedge fund, you know what that's about? That's about greed. The industry might have lost uh, you know, $10 billion here, and we know they were avoidable. Uh, why? Because this fund did not ensnare everybody. J.P. Morgan considered working with them and passed. They exercised something I've been searching for this word all day because it's not really available anymore on Wall Street. Judgment! Something that is in very short supply. And they decided this fund wasn't worth the risk. They didn't trust Archegos. They didn't trust it. Everyone else chased those commissions with Nomura and Credit Suisse getting hit particularly hard because they were so desperate to show that they're the go-to banks for hedge funds that need absurd amounts of leverage sold to you. Or how about the endless back attacks? I mean, so many of these are basically blank checks for people who I wouldn't trust with the money in my wallet let alone hundreds of millions of dollars of your money. I'm increasingly convinced that these SPAC mergers are just a way for startups to come public without any scrutiny from the SEC. In a real IPO, you can't make aggressive projections about how much you'll earn in 2030. I think we're going to need to regulate these deals the same way. SEC, memo. Start focusing and regulating SPACs uh, the way you would an IPO. Just go do it. Just find a way. Just use the 34 Act, for heaven's sake. Anyway, worst of all, you've got these NFTs or non-fungible tokens. Now, these are supposedly unique digital items, although I'm not clear on what, uh, what makes uh, them unique other than a digital ledger. Are NFTs a scam? Let's just say there's a little too much of the old P.T. Barnum involved here. Maybe I'm missing something and they go up in value, but you should never buy something you don't understand. And I'm not seeing many people who can explain the value proposition here. Third thing that needs to change too much stock supply went over this again last night. Not enough demand. Wall Street syndicate tests are so eager to make money that they keep printing, keep printing stocks, flooding the market with newly minted IPOs and secondary offerings and SPACs. They'll put their names on anything. Shameless. We need to digest the deals they've already thrown at us. The stocks that are sagging right now are sagging in part because investors need to sell their existing merchandise to buy this new stuff. Unfortunately, the brokers aren't creating stocks that participate in the great reopening trade. There's a genuine scarcity to those. Instead, they're hitting us with more of the same kind of software as a service, crypto, gaming, fintech. Yes, that are often very low quality. We don't need them. We don't want them. But nobody will exercise the discipline to stop the deals. Until the IPO spigot closes, these groups uh, that we're stuck with are hammering everything else. Fourth, I'm beginning to wonder if the people who own the highest growth stocks actually know what these companies do. Can the owners of JFRA explain what the company does? Tadpoles Tam? How about Datadog? Chewy Derivative? MongoDB? Do you know how Snowflake makes its money or loses its money? Splunk? Cave Exploration Company? Can you tell me the difference between Wix and Wex? How about Fiverr and F5? Slap me Fiverr. Is this the moment when you want to be in Bill.com or William.com? Is it time to buy HubSpot? See HubSpot run? Many people bought these stocks for one reason. They were going higher. Now that they're going lower, those shareholders don't know what to do. We saw the same thing happen in 2000. Eventually, the bull, it's unfortunately, they tend to bolt at the bottom. Five, we need to get rid of many of these companies. Now, the best way to get that to happen is mergers, where the smaller players consolidate the larger ones. The worst way is for them to run out of money and go under. I know this sounds extreme, but it's something that helped us escape from the IPO glut in 2000. This is what, I mean, in 2016. They, needed, they need this. Merger. 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 This is what you need. Thank you. Okay. Finally, we can use some signs that inflation is cooling. 
Uh, the bond market says it's not, which is why rates keep rising. But if oil prices were to come down and we get a deal with Canon on lumber and the petrochemical plants along the Gulf restart and the semiconductor companies in Asia expand production, then it could happen a lot faster than we think. Remember, inflation is devastating to high-flying growth stocks like the ones that keep going lower because they're all about the potential earnings many years down the road, and inflation erodes the value of those future dollars. It's no coincidence that these stocks started rolling over right when rates began to surge. Now, I know this is a tall order to eliminate all these problems that are plaguing the market. They have their own momentum. And it's not like there's some grand inquisitor out there who can make Wall Street less greedy. I know Congress has, had, has its preoccupations when it comes to the financial industry, but they're more worried about the gamification of GameStop than the SPAC attack or the endless proliferation or of rogue hedge funds. I think they should be less worried about what regular investors are up to on Reddit and more worried about over-levered hedge funds and what they're doing to Wall Street. Unfortunately, and what Wall Street's doing to them. Unfortunately, there's no off switch for this stuff. We just have to let these issues play out. The SPACs and the IPOs will stop once the brokers see that these deals keep losing people money. They do care about their customers eventually. The high growth shareholders will eventually get blown out if they don't if they own stocks that they don't understand. But until then, we've got to work our way through a difficult situation. The bottom line, there is a solution. You can stick with the Boreal companies that are doing incredibly well right now thanks to low rates and a huge stimulus package, the ones that are delivering much better than expected earnings and buyback stock not issuing. Or, uh, well, you know, other than that, you're going to be in siege mode because that's what this is, a siege. And the siege for this group could last a lot longer than people expect. I say we take questions. I say we go to Jamie in Illinois. Jamie. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Yo, I'm chilling. What's happening? So I'm in on Clover Health, and it turns out I'm down a couple leaves here. Stock's kind of in the toilet. Do I flush? Well, that's kind of a, well, that's a real granular way to look at it. Uh, I think Clover's terrible. Uh, I invite management to come on. Uh, but if you do come on, I'm also going to have to have Hindenburg on because Hindenburg did call this right and management's called it wrong. Uh, I don't see a lot to like there. I don't like when I go to the homepage. It's got things that you can do to do better with Medicare. And pass. I like Clover, the department store that used to be owned by Strober's Enclosure that later closed in Philadelphia. John in New Jersey. John. Hey, Jim. Huge fan of the show. Thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. I think you're a great source of information and sometimes a reality check for investors in their early 20s like myself. All right, man. Now we're happy to have you on the show. <laughs> Based on the CDC director's impending doom comments yesterday, do you think I should trim my position in Marriott or increase it? No, Marriott's like the last man standing. Most of those hotels have such crummy balance sheets. At least Marriott's got a good balance sheet. You stay in Marriott, okay? I think it's breaking out here. Hey, you know what? Let's go to me. Let's go to Jim in New York. Jim! Jimmy Joe, how are you today? Joe Man's doing well. How about you? I'm doing good, thanks. Uh, I have a question for you. I, I started a position in Moderna at around 152 after okay. watching it come in from the high 170s. But all these vaccines going into people's arms and needing to go into even more, why is Moderna continuing to drop? And with uh, you know an average target of 174, uh, when do you think it's going to bottom? Well, look, I've got to tell you, we can't think like that. We have to recognize that Moderna is a lot more than what it's currently giving to us on COVID. They may have vaccines for many, many different illnesses. And uh, I think what people are, I know this is going to sound silly, but people don't like the chart. 
and people feel it's played out. And that's precisely uh, the next leg down when I think you're in good shape, Moderna. I'm going to urge you to not sell it, okay? Now, look, there are a number of issues plaguing the tape right now. A massive stock glut, elevated levels of speculation and greed. Can't wait to get deer into deer and Netflix. Yeah, okay. Rocket chip, though. Now, you can combat them by sticking with the familiar old companies that are actually knocking the lights out. Thanks to low rates, stimulus, strong earnings, and buybacks. Oh, man, tonight, could online car sales outlast the pandemic? I'm going to talk to the CEO of Carvana and find out what he's seeing. Then shares of Macy's have more than doubled in the past year. Is it a sign that the mall stocks are back in fashion? I'm sitting down with the CEO to find out if you can rack up more gains. And judging by the way the PVH is trading after the bell, maybe we have something. And can the great outdoors invest- investment trend continue even as more people are being vaccinated and lockdowns ease? I'm going to talk to the CEO of Vista Outdoors, and I'm also going to offer a view about how to handle retail in the great reopening. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
and a market that hates growth stocks but loves anything connected to used cars. What do you do with a stock like Carvana? I mean, look, this is a company that spent years shaking up the used car space. They let you buy online then pick up from what are basically gigantic vehicle vending machines. In the last three years, Carvana's run from around 20 bucks to just under $255. How's your S&P fund doing? We know business is booming because people are desperate to buy cars, but the automakers can't get enough semiconductors into production numbers, so used cars are picking up the slack. When Carvana last reported a little over a month ago, the company delivers fabulous sales growth, and management gave an encouraging full-year forecast, which sent the stock to a new all-time high. Since then, though, it's been crushed by that sell-off and high-flying growth stocks. Remember, NASDAQ, worst month since October, and this one's down more than 20% in less than a month. So could this be an incredible bargain given the relentless bull market in used cars, or is it part of that siege cohort I described at the top of the show? Let's take a closer look with Ernie Garcia III. He's the co-founder and chairman and CEO of Carvana. Get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Garcia, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, so Ernie, there's this great moment in the conference call where you say the thing you're most proud of, I should actually quiz you, but I, you probably know it, is that 65, 65% of your cars are from your own customers. They were bought from customers. Will you please explain to people your model and why that's so important? Sure. Well, so I think people are familiar with the vending machines, with the retail side of the business where they can go to Carvana and buy a car. Um, but we also have the side of the business where we buy cars from customers. So customers can come to our website. Uh, they can get a value for their car in two minutes. And then, you know, we'll supply them with a firm offer. We'll drive to their house. We'll pick it up. We'll put money in their account. Um, and, and that's also been a great offering for customers. It leverages our logistics network to kind of go in reverse and, and buy cars from customers. And then as a result, we're able to buy a lot of really high-quality cars from customers themselves, then turn around, put about $1,000 of parts and labor into those cars to Carvana certify them, and then sell them to customers on the other side. And so it, it makes for a closed system that's uh, a great experience on both sides and, and works out great economically as well. All right, let's talk about this, the, what may be the hottest market for used cars. Uh, where the new car companies are very, having very hard time even producing enough cars. Uh, the Navigator, I mean, you can't get a Navigator for heaven's sake. Uh, F-150, a lot of GM products. Uh, what does it mean for you uh, at, at Carvana that new cars are in uh, short supply? So directly speaking, there, there's not a huge effect. I think there's an interesting dynamic. You know, the new car market is a lot like other markets where it's fundamentally defined by how many cars are produced and how much demand there is for those cars. On the used car side, you know, all the used cars are already out there, right? We drive past them on the road every single day. Some customers driving in every single car that's out there. So really the supply of cars is just all the cars that already exist. And then it's a question of how often do consumers choose to trade with each other by going to Carvon and mm-hmm. selling their car and then that car being sold to another customer. So there aren't fundamental supply side limitations in the used car market. And so that makes it a strong market when there's uh, new vehicle supply issues for customers to shift over to used. Um, so it's a different dynamic uh, than the, the new car side. But then because we're putting $1,000 of parts and labor into every car, uh, we do have limitations in our ability to certify all those cars. So we, for different reasons, also find ourselves a, a little more supply constrained than we would like to be right now, given all the demand that we're seeing. Well, will that impact your uh, your goal to become the most profitable company in the business? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think it's a it's a short term problem that we're very uh, happy to have. It's it's a very high quality problem. We've just seen. So much demand comes so quickly that we're now ramping up our inspection centers as fast as we can. Um, so in our last conference call, we announced that by 2022, we expect to, to build about 10 more inspection centers. You know, that'll be hundreds of millions of dollars of investment and thousands and thousands of people that we'll be hiring to certify those cars for customers uh, that will ultimately get us by 2022 to have the ability to produce 1.25 million cars per year uh, by the end of that year. 
So we're making a lot of investments to prepare for all the, the growth that we see ahead, and we think that this is a transitory uh, thing that we're working through as a result of all the demand. I mean, a lot of people are listening saying, well, wait a second. You have these uh, inspection and reconditioning centers. You put $1,000 into a car. I mean, are the people who are watching saying, I've never had any work done for less than 2500 How are you able to do that? <laughs> Well, so, so these, uh, these inspection centers are, are really cool facilities. You know, they're, they're generally on around 70 to 100 acres. Um, there may be 5,000 cars in the ground. It's basically a big assembly line where you can kind of think of it as a remanufacturing facility. So the cars come in, they're inspected. We figure out all the different uh, parts that are on the car and the options that are on the car so we can merchandise those for customers. Um, they go through whatever work needs to be done, gets done. You know, we'll fix dents, we'll fix windshields, we'll fix anything that's wrong mechanically. Uh, we'll photograph the car, um, and then we put it up on the website for customers to buy. And so, you know, going through that assembly line process enables us to save a lot of money versus the traditional way of getting your car fixed. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. At the same time, despite your growth, you're saying you're only 0.7% of the entire market? So that's a truly remarkable thing about this market. So uh, an amazing number is that there's about 40 million used cars sold every single year. And so, you know, in the fourth quarter, we, we sold about 72,000 cars. Uh, and when you do the math on that, that put us at about 0.7% um, of the market. At the same time, we're the second largest seller of used cars in the country after just eight years in operation. And so I think it's a pretty remarkable uh, thing that, you know, we're the second largest, but we're still only 0.7%. So there's obviously a lot of room for growth. Now, we've had a, a picture up uh, showing where the vending machines and inspection reconditioning centers are. I mean, I look at it. I, is it fair to say that you may only be, I don't know, uh, half the country, maybe even less? So we have direct delivery, which means, you know, we'll deliver a car to a customer uh, in a branded hauler with a uniformed Carvana employee that'll walk you through um, how everything works. We do that to a little more than 70% of the population. By the end of the year, we expect that to be approximately 80% of the population. Um, and then over time, we'll keep growing from there. Um, but then for those customers that live outside of our direct service area, we will use third-party shippers to ship the car to a customer if they'd like to buy it. But at the same time, what I'm saying is you're, there's a lot of the country left to, for you to put up your reconditioning inspection. Oh. I mean, you've got a huge a chunk of the country. You're not even doing this stuff yet. No, a, a huge portion. And so, you know, we're growing that as rapidly as we can. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity left. And, you know, each of these uh, inspection centers can produce, you know, on the order of 65,000 cars per year, give or take. And so, you know, we're going to be investing in building 10 of those out uh, by the end of 2022. So we're moving fast. Well, I got to tell you, you know, we believe in you from day one. A lot of these guys, I, we first had you on when the short sellers were saying, oh, man, the model doesn't work. To me, the model's genius. What can I say? And, and you've got ah, so much more room to grow. I, all I can do is congratulate you for delivering, as you said in your note, every promise you've made, you've delivered on. And I think that is worth noting for people at home trying to figure out how to buy, whether they should buy your stock. So Ernie Garcia, the third co-founder and chairman and CEO of Carvana, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Yeah. Go read his letter. If you're interested in this company, they put out a letter to shareholders. They had a Q4 2020. It has everything you need. You'll know, and I need you to know these things before you pull the trigger. You'll know why I think so much of this company. Man Money's back after the break. Coming up, as the retail sector recovers from COVID's impact, how could one company fit into a reopening economy? Kramer finds out from Macy's Top Brass. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Spending a couple weeks lost in the wilderness, the non-essential retailers made a comeback today because the great reopening rotation is back in business. Just look at Macy's. Here's a stock that's up more than 150% since we started getting positive vaccine data in November. But in the last two weeks, okay, it pulled back 20% from its highs. Now, though, the reopening retailers are roaring again. The stock was up more than 4% today. I wouldn't be surprised if it's got more in the rut. When Macy's reported last month, the company turned in some really much better than expected numbers. Very encouraging guidance. Better balance sheet. They've made tremendous progress when it comes to their turnaround program. $900 million in annualized cost savings exiting just last year. And, of course, this is exactly the kind of thing that should work when we go back to normal. But with the stock finance time here, we need to be careful. So let's check in with Jeff Gannett, the chairman and CEO of Macy's, to get a clearer picture of the company's prospects. Mr. Gannett, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, it's great to be back with you. Thank you, Jeff. We're seeing what I think is the evolution of a company that is becoming digital focused. And if that look, I just say that you are, given how much your sales do well when you have the stores, you may have the combination that you need. Lots of stores and great digital performance. So, Jim, I think that's absolutely right. So when you think about, you know, when we went into the pandemic, we had to do this hard pivot, particularly with our stores closed. We did a hard pivot to digital. And so you know our story. And our competitive mode is that we offer fashion and style from off-price to luxury. And we do it with private brands and national brands and emerging brands, but as a digitally-led omnichannel retailer. So when we got into the pandemic, we just went hard against digital. And it was a $6 billion business in 2019. We grew at 25% through 2020. And, you know, we've put down that marker to say over the next three years, we're going to get to 10 billion. So, um, you know, what people may not know is that we're number two in our categories in the nation. And we were able to hold our market share in 2020. So it's we're ready. We're ready on the function. We're ready on the experience. We're ready to grow digital. And digital is enabled by having strong brick and mortar. And we're in the best malls in America. You know, we've got a great, you know, set of stores that are ready to fulfill customers' orders. 25% of our, of our digital orders go through the stores. But it's also, stores are great nodes for entertainment. And when customers return to normal, we've got great tasty stores ready for them. It's funny, Jeff. I was reading some note which says, you know what? Now that older people are getting vaccinated, it's going to help Macy's. I look at the new customers you have, the 7 million. I'm yeah. not seeing something like that. I'm seeing an evolution that's turning into a revolution who's going to your stores. Well, I got some good news for you. So we had 7 million new customers, as you mentioned, 4 million of them came in through digital. And when you look at that, they were younger and they're more diverse. 
So kind of like quarter to date in the first quarter, the one thing I can tell you is that that trend continues. So we're actually up 15% now in new customers versus the first quarter of 2019. And they're spending 8% more, whereas in the fourth quarter, they were spending 4% more. And again, they're younger, they're more diverse. And the good news is that the core customer that is still down, but that trend is improving. As they start to get the vaccination, they're starting to think about, hey, I want to return to my, my older life. Uh, they now have got categories that they can track, uh, transact in at Macy's. And we're starting to see their activity both digitally and back in our stores. So on February 23rd, when you reported, you said, and I'm going to quote here, solid performances continued into 2021. I have to take away so far what you're saying is that that's a, that's a continuum that I still see. Yes, that's true. You know, I think, Jim, I think when we all look at what happened with the stimulus package, you know, that's been an accelerant to our business. I mean, you're a great student of this. So you know that, you know, as the customer starts to change about what their wearing occasion is, you know, you're starting to see young women now have a prom date that they're putting onto their calendar. My prom dress business is now uh, much better. You look at dresses, look at luggage. So people are starting to travel. You look at swimsuits. It's my best trending category right now. It's a big difference from where we were in the fourth quarter and in 2020. So it's starting to come back. We're not there yet. We're still taking a conservative view for the balance of the year. But there's pockets of strength that's going on right now, led by new customers. So there's good news here, Jim. So as I mentioned, you know, the new customer piece is just continuing that momentum. So we had 7 million new customers in the fourth quarter. That was up 2% from the fourth quarter of 2019. So when I look at quarter to date in 2021 versus the first quarter of a non-pandemic year, which was in 2019, we're up 15%. And those new customers are spending 8% more. The other side of the equation is our core customer. They're still down. So when you look at our platinum, our gold, our silver loyalty program, they're still down, but it's a 10-point improvement from what their behavior was in the fourth quarter. That's clearly the vaccine starting to take root. So new customers, really good story. Core customers, an improving story. We're still taking a conservative view to this year. We're more conservative in the front half than the back half, but it's positive momentum that we're bringing into this quarter with us. Well, I mean, some traditional things that you go to Macy's for wedding registration, there's been no yeah. register. I mean, that has got to be, you, the books has to be filling up for the second half already. That is so true. So when you look at wedding dates and you look at the venues, those are starting to get booked. And you're starting to see that in our dress business. You're starting to see it in our mother of the brides. You're starting to see it in proms. So as events start to get onto people's calendars, we're going to be a destination both digitally and in our stores for that business. All right, now i got to talk about Bloomingdale's for a second. My wife, this is a shout-out that my wife says I have to do. She says, you got to tell them that Stacy in Bloomies is unbelievable for, for personalized service. I bring it up. Congratulations, Stacy. I bring it up because you offer the best personalized service, and yet, Jeff, I still feel like we're one of the few people who actually know this. How do you get the word out that you offer an amazing service to people because it's a personal shopper, which is better than on the web where I'm, I'm curated by someone I don't know or an algo? Yeah, so great question, Jim. I mean, we throw that to our marketing team all the time, uh, certainly our stores team, about getting the word out about the stylist program at Macy's and the loyalist program at Bloomingdale's. And you're absolutely right. We've got amazing colleagues that love to work with their customers. And they can do that virtually. They have many customers that basically are transacting with them by them walking around the store. They're in the comfort of their living room. And our colleagues are working from either their home or from the store. 
uh, we're making great connections with these customers. Right. So um, that's a service that we will continue to offer at both brands. Where are we in terms of uh, still needing to close stores? In the Comstock, you've been saying, listen, we're only left, only ones left are in good malls. I don't know if I yeah. want you to show, to really close more stores because of what happens with digital when you have physical presence. Absolutely. You hit it, you hit it on the head. So stores are such an important part of the Omni ecosystem. And so we know that where you've got a store and you in the same trade area demand where you've got the digital business and those zip codes, it's two to three times higher than in a place where you don't have a brick and mortar store. That said, there were some malls that weren't just going to, they weren't going to make it. And so you've seen us over the past number of years, shed the number of stores in C and D malls. And we're down to kind of the last 60 from that neighborhood bucket that you've heard me talk about. And when that is complete over the next couple of years, our store portfolio is mostly 90% or nearly 90% of our business will be in B, B plus, A and A plus malls. And I really believe that these malls stand at the test of time. And you've got mall developers that are investing in them. They're really changing their leasing mix. They're putting more entertainment, more food mm-hmm. and beverage. That's helping Macy's you know, in our categories. Yeah. And at the same time of doing this because of the important role that bricks play in our digital business, we're starting to explore off-mall. And we're doing it in a careful way. We're really uh, testing our capital on this. We're looking at three markets right now. And we're right. doing it. We're opening these stores as we speak in three markets of the country. All right. Well, look, I, this is the time for Macy's. You've done a lot of changes. And now that things are opening up, I, if we get some tourism. Who knows what would happen? But that could happen, too. We don't know. That's Jeff Kinnett, chairman and CEO of Macy's, with a very promising outlook for the rest of the year. Thanks for coming to the show, Jeff. Thanks, Jim. Great to see you. Right. Look, it's, what can I say? Iconic name, inexpensive stock, lots of runway. Jeff Kinnett, chairman and CEO of Macy's. Man, money's back in the break. Coming up, as vaccination rates climb, should investors look outside for fresh air and earnings? Kramer explores a beautiful vista next. As more people get vaccinated, the world goes back to normal. What happens to the great outdoor stocks, the ones that made you a fortune during lockdown because they were the only safe way to go out and have fun? Take Vista Outdoor, the sporting goods company that makes gear for action sports, grilling, hiking. Think those Camelback canteen backpacks. And also has a big sports shooting business where they sell a lot of ammunition. Great for hunters. It's a good business. But you know what really makes business fly here is whenever there's a Democratic administration in Washington. Because ammo flies off the shelves every time you get even a minor push for gun control. We just had one. We highlighted this one in November after it had already run from $5 to $22. Since then, it shot up to $38 at its high last month before pulling back to $30 and change right now. Still a nice gain. Fish has been delivering some incredible results, but can they keep it up once the great reopening is in full swing? Let's take a closer look with Chris Metz, the CEO of Vista Outdoor, to find out more about his company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Metz, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, thank you, Jim. It's great to be back on. All right, so Chris, I'm torn. Are you a... um, be careful because the market, the economy's reopening and you know, people won't do as much outdoors. Or do we care more about the fact that President Biden just called for extreme, well, for some people would say extreme gun control. Others would say not that much. Which is, are they all important fulcrums? Because we're all trying to figure out how to how to figure out what Vista's next move is. Well, I'll tell you, Jim, it's a, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, what's really incredible about the uh, growth we've seen is, is it's been balanced across all of our portfolios. So we like to talk about ammunition, but our outdoor products businesses have been raging as well. So 
you know, we're uh, 331 year end on quarter three, we just grew 35% across, uh, really balanced across all of our businesses. Our EBITDA is up over 50%. We're generating uh, free cash flow in excess of 100% of EBITDA, uh, about 300 billion year to date. And we're only one to two times leveraged. And when we look at the growth going forward, we see no curtailment in, uh, in demand at all. But so Chris, it, it's, when I was preparing the interview, I said, do I ask him about c- civil unrest? Do I ask him about the insurrection capital? It, it, you almost, it's not, I have to do what's awkward. I mean, those are very important for your company's ammunition business. Sure, I mean, it was, so what happened with the ammunition is it really started with COVID. So when COVID hit about this time last year, people got shelter in place, cabin fever, they started to get out and recreate. So Jim, what we saw was incredible increases in hunting. People that are looking to um, embrace uh, field to table movements and not just farm to table, filling their freezer with wild game rather than running down to the grocery store. This past, then it moved into a little bit of civil unrest, or actually maybe a lot of it's civil unrest right. throughout the country. And um, people wanting to be more self-sufficient, people wanting to can take control of their own safety and their loved one's safety. So we, incredibly, we uh, introduced uh, 8 million new uh, owners um, of firearms in the uh, U.S. this past year, 40% of which were women and people of color, many of them trending younger, that are just really embracing shooting sports and hunting for the first time. Well, you also won this gigantic federal contract, which is an incredibly lucrative business, correct? That, that is correct, Jim. And that's, that's a big part of our business as well. We support all uh, branches of the uh, military and uh, service and, and our special forces. Uh, we've got the uh, majority market share with our law enforcement across the country. So, you know, we work hard and our people work incredibly hard to keep uh, Americans safe. But is it possible, I was looking at the breakdown, your outdoor products are just extraordinary. I, I like to bike. So I mean, I, I either wear uh, I either wear Juro or Bell helmet, whichever one's in the in, in the shell in the shed. But I would never wear anybody else's because those are the names I trust. I think Camelback is incredible. I think the Peloton deal you just did with Camelback is extraordinary. But it almost seems like no matter how fast you pedal on those businesses, the ammo business goes higher, and it's almost as if the higher the ammo business goes, the lower the price to earnings ratio goes. Solve this conundrum for me. You know, it's crazy. I mean, when you look at the what I just said about our financial results, I mean, we're trading it six and a half to seven <laughs> times EBITDA. It's, it's crazy. We're at one to two times leverage. We just closed on an eight year, five hundred million dollar bond at great interest rates. So we just acquired two companies in the last three to four months, which will add about two hundred and fifty million plus to our revenue. We're going to continue to acquire and we're going to continue to innovate. I mean, like we just introduced the Bushnell Wingman, the industry's first GPS enabled speaker system for the golf course. And our innovation is really what's going to grow the outdoor products business. So, you know, we just continue to deliver and is, uh, you know, as thankful as I am that our stock prices is increased dramatically. I'm even more excited about where our stock can go, given I what I know about the performance of our business. I completely agree, Chris. You know, we were behind you. And I keep thinking there's all these people get 300 SPACs, okay? And with the exception of a few, who knows if they know how to operate? Who knows if they know how to acquire? You, Vista, every time that something comes up like a Camelback, you're a much better buyer than a a SPAC. I mean, you've got to be laughing at some of the SPACs. You know, Jim, what's crazy about it is every one of our acquisitions is at historical highs right now. So we've proven that we can acquire companies and integrate them well. And we're going to continue to be very smart acquirers. The team that that we built here is uh, very seasoned, 
been through uh, COVID, knows how to work um, in various virtual situations. And, and so we're really excited about the landscape that we see to be smart acquirers to make accretive acquisitions to continue to drive shareholder value. And I've got to tell you, I do applaud that you said, listen, we know that civil civil unrest has helped sales. You didn't bury it. I mean, obviously, you're not out there uh, saying, no, don't. That, that has nothing to do with our company. And I, I appreciate that because one of the reasons why I like you and I've liked your stock is you accept that. I mean, you know, there's Camelback, but Dix doesn't want guns. There's REI, but then there's companies that recognize that hunting is a, a fast-growing sport. And I just appreciate your candor because I want people to understand why I like the stock, why I've liked the stock. And it's because of the way you approach the business. You approach it very transparently. Chris Metz, CEO of Vista Outdoor. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim. Guys, remember when I talked about the top of the show that there are expensive stocks that I'm concerned about? There are cheap stocks that I'm not concerned about. Why? Scarcity value and because they go higher. Vista Outdoor. May have money's back here to the break. Just chill out. Chill man is in the house. Chill man be king. The chill man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. Before we begin, I want to make sure that you do not miss CNBC's Race and Opportunity in America special. It's tomorrow. It's at 8 p.m. Eastern. Amid the rise in anti-Asian violence in the U.S., we're going to look at the economic and social challenges facing the Asian-American community. I'll watch. You should, too. And now it is time. It is time. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dad, the lightning round. I'm going to start with Lionel in California. Lionel. Jim, thanks for taking the call. Love the show. You've demystified Wall Street for Main Street, and I'm grateful for all you do. I'm chilling and doing. What's up? Jimmy Chill, company is Embraer, ticker ERJ. Very interesting company. I know the company, but I have to tell you, I'm going to default to Boeing. I don't need both Embraer and Boeing when I have Boeing. Paul in Texas. Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My stock is Comerica Incorporated. CMA. Is it a buy? Boring but good. Boring but good. That's okay because the regional banks are actually doing better than the money centers. Comarca didn't have the chance to give money to a stupid hedge fund. I like that. How about we go to Alex in Illinois? Alex. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I know you're a fan of Nucor, but do you yes. think ArcelorMittal stands to benefit the most globally due to the already announced capacity cutbacks in China? I'm not well going to. Nope, I'm not going there. I'm not going there because it's a second-rate company versus Nucor, and you also got, by the way, like, I mean, look, it's this group is running, but Nucor is really running. And don't forget, we have Infra on our side. If the president, when he goes to Pittsburgh, says anything, anything good, all right? I need to go to Larry in Florida. Larry. Mr. Kramer. Yes. So over the past year, I've put the position in this operator um, going forward. What are your thoughts on the Manitowoc company? Manitowoc's very interesting company. You know, I had them on, then it kind of like fell off the radar screen. I'm putting it right back on the radar screen right now. I like your call. I need to go to Roshan in New Jersey. Roshan. Jim, how are you? Oh, man, I'm doing fine. How about you? Thank you. Thank you. I'm a first-time caller. I need your opinion on an NAT since we had a Suez Canal. You know what? Look, uh, Herb Jordan Hansen's always uh, saying things are pretty good there. Um, but the stock's kind of stuck in neutral. I'm not saying that it's exactly like a, uh, 
uh, uh, you know, some that's uh, that's beached up in the Suez Canal, but it does have that kind of you know, not a lot of mo. I mean, more mo than a beached up twenty thousand container boat, but not much more. Let's go to Matt in Pennsylvania. Matt. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Matt. Five years into investing. Love your show and thanks for all you do. Oh, thank you. I've got your book and I'm excited to read it too. Oh, excellent. Uh, thank you. How about yeah, a stock too while we're at it? Huh? What's that? How about a stock while we're at it? You know, it's kind of yeah. lightning around. about communication service company that's down. Uh, is it time to buy a dip? Ticker Z. I like Z. I thought, first of all, you were talking about Woolworth. Anyone else remember that besides me? That was a ticker? Look, Zillow's doing incredibly well. Incredibly well. And I think that this decline is much more about, again, what I talked about at the top of the show, which is the hatred, the newfound hatred for high growth. It is a very good company. They've done a lot of good stuff. And I actually don't mind their model where they're now buying and selling homes. Not my favorite, but it does give them some growth. Can we take one more? Can we go to Larry in New York? Larry! Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, Larry. I'm a devoted listener, first-time caller. Thank you. I'm a long-time holder of NCR. Well, then you're kind of a suffering, suffering there. Um, but it's making a comeback. You know, I finally, I, mean, I went out to see them not, uh, many, many years ago when they were out on the island, and I felt there was a lot of value there. It, it's taken a long time, but the value is actually being realized. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Larry. I think Larry's got horse sense. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. For months, we've been playing this guessing game. Uh, what will people do when they're vaccinated? I got another vaccination here today. Um, will they go back to the office or work from home? Will they spend like drunken sailors? Will they embrace the great outdoors? Will people keep biking indoors on their pelotons with a camelback strapped on them? Or is this the kind of thing they want to experience outside as part of wonders of nature? Will we keep barbecuing endlessly this summer? Or are we so sick of doing the dishes as I am that we'd rather wait in line for an hour at a Texas roadhouse? as long as it means we don't have to clean up after ourselves. At this point, though, it's becoming pretty clear this is a guessing game that's pointless because all bets are off. We don't know what people will do. And frankly, this market hasn't exactly been all that discerning. Nearly all the great reopening stocks have run, which makes this entire game a lot less rewarding. I'm suggesting we stop playing it. But we know there's so much new money coming into the economy that people do something, and I'm not even talking about the infrastructure bill. With the market suddenly getting cold feet about the reopening as COVID cases make a comeback, your goal is to find the things that consumers will embrace no matter what once they finally have the option to go places. You know what? It's a short list. That makes it a little bit easier for us, doesn't it? uh, Right now, for instance, I can only count two retail stocks that consistently went up as the market was rotating back and forth between the essential and non-essential chains. I'm talking about Lowe's and Home Depot. Why? Because in lockdown, you had to reinvent your house, turning bedrooms into offices and schoolrooms, or just generally fixing the place up because there was nowhere else to go. Now that we're in reopening mode, there's a new thesis. Housing prices are skyrocketing, real scarcity. So remodeling is no longer a costly expense. It's now a valuable capital improvement. 
to a rapidly appreciating asset. When investors see that, they don't want to choose between Kohl's and Walmart. They just want Lowe's and Home Depot because they win either way. Plus, with gardening season around the corner, the equivalent of Christmas for these two, the numbers should be excellent. Personally, right now, I prefer Lowe's, which is finally catching up to the despot, thanks to the leadership of CEO Marvin Ellison. I can't wait. I'm going to check their flats out first. Those who don't know what flats are, it has nothing to do with Chewy, Ryan Cohen, or GameStop. You keep running with this theme of no matter what, okay? If you want your home to look better and you've got money to burn, well, then where do you go? Well, we've been going to Williams-Sonoma, Right? Or we go to RH. The former's crushing it with every single one of the brands. Oh, no longer just West Salem, thank heavens. I think the flagship Williams-Sonoma chain can clean up now that the mall is back in style. The mall. And the company's closed a lot of unperforming stores. As for RH, yes, remember Restoration Hardware? Think of this as the publicly traded way to cash in on the wealth effect. I just thought of that. Furniture for rich people don't necessarily want to pay a decorator. How strong is this brand? Look, RH is about starting designing uh, homes in Aspen. They haven't done it yet. They're, they're not even on the drawing board, and yet there are already multiple buyers. Wouldn't you love to have that business? Doesn't it tell you everything you need to know? I think these two will continue to work higher, and they, they're they amazing, aren't they? Because the exodus from the cities won't be coming to an end, even when nobody, when everyone is vaccinated. When RH reported, I said, that's going to be worth 100 points. People laughed. Yes, they all laughed at me, not unlike Carrie in that great gym scene, but it turned out I was right. It turned out it was worth a lot more. Now that we know working from home is viable, there's much less reason to live right near your job. Same reason I like tractor supplies wearing their hat the other day, because the people who moved out to the country, they're not coming back anytime soon. If they do come back, they're going to commute by car, which gives you one more subsector that works, cars, specifically used cars, because of that darn chip shortage that's slowing down the production of new ones. What do I like? I like CarMax, Lithium Motors, Sybil Lad. AutoNation, and I am thrilled about what I heard tonight from Carvana. So listen, don't make this harder on yourself. Please, don't make it harder than it needs to be. Meaning, don't try to guess what might or might not work under the great reopening. Just go with what works no matter what. That's the safer, smarter way to approach this newly treacherous market, at least for the growth stocks. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.